I have to say that my education was greatly lacking when it came to Mary Magdalene. We focus on the men. Uh, and I think it's mostly because the people who've been writing church history for the last uh, 2,000 years, at least for the first 1,500, and pretty much thereafter, the first 1,500 was celibate men in monastic settings. And then after that, it was pretty much mostly men who did a lot of the writing of the history. And so I missed out until fairly recently in my life, 58 years of my life, uh, without spending time looking at Mary Magdalene and realizing the power of her discipleship. You know, I think I've commented on her over and over again every year at, uh, on Easter. She's the one that goes to the tomb. She's the one that, uh, you know, finds the tomb is empty and encounters Jesus and the whole nine yards and comes and tells the disciples who don't believe her because, of course, she's a woman. And uh, uh, what an epic fail, men. What an epic fail. Uh, just a call out to you. Uh, so I have spent some more time with her recently. Uh, and that is to say she is mentioned in all four of the Gospels uh, in varying ways and important ways. And so I, I thought that I would read to you a piece of one of the Gospels. Matthew is what we're going to look at today. Matthew chapter 27, beginning with verse 55. Now, I know I'm fast-forwarding in some ways. And the reason I say I'm fast-forwarding is because Good Friday is this Friday, which, by the way, we will be online live at... Uh, uh, 7 p.m. this Friday for Good Friday service, and you're invited to that. Um, just so you know. Uh, the, uh, but this is immediately following, the piece I'm reading to you is immediately following the crucifixion and Jesus' death. Uh, many of you will know that today is Palm Passion Sunday, which is often the reason it's called Palm Passion Sunday is because most people... I grew up skipping straight from Palm Sunday to Easter. Way, we'd wave our palms and then skip the crucifixion altogether and get to Easter and woo, Jesus raised again. We don't do well with death, but we'll talk about that on Friday night. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about the passion. Jesus has just died on the cross. A darkness has spread over uh, the land, a darkness of the heart, I think, and the world is shaken by this death. I'm picking up with verse 55 of chapter 27. Many women were also there looking on from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee and had provided for him. Among them were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. So Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn in the rock. 
He then rolled a great stone to the door of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise be to God. First of all, I have to apologize to you for 29 years of invitations to communion in which I said all the disciples either abandoned, denied, or betrayed him because that's an epic lie. That is a lie. Mary Magdalene and the other women never abandoned Jesus and they were just as much disciples whether named or not. So I have been inviting you and saying even if you've abandoned, denied, and betrayed Jesus, like the men, instead of being like the women who stayed to the bitter end. And not only did they stay to the bitter end, not only did they stay to the bitter end, I found something really interesting in verse 61 that we'll come back to. There are a couple of things that really strike me about the crucifixion. And the first is fear. Fear is a divider. Fear takes us out of this moment. It takes us out of our mind, our heart, our body oftentimes, and makes us want to either do one of several things, freeze, run away, or fight. Those are the three things that fear makes us want to do. When we encounter fear, we do those things unless we can find a way to overcome the fear. Fear takes me out of this moment. Fear took all of the male disciples out of the moment such that they ran away, such that they left Jesus to hang on the cross, bereft of their presence. Fear overcame them. Fear took them out of the moment and away from Jesus. And I think that that's the key. Fear takes us away from being present to God sometimes. And fear is a, is a wonderful tool our politicians have discovered. If they can just make you afraid of something, then you can, uh, and, and they're the only ones that have the answer, whichever side of the aisle they're on, if they can make you afraid enough of the other side or afraid enough of the other side's answer, then you'll vote for them. And we have used fear as a tool like that. It's not recent. It's, I guess, since the beginning of humanity. Fear is something that's, uh, that works to take us out of the moment and make us uh, react, not respond. We can't be here. Fear keeps us from the presence of God. Now, fear can be overcome. And courage is not the absence of fear, uh, but it's standing in the face of fear, I believe. But fear took the disciples out of this moment, the male disciples out of this moment, and made them run away and hide, essentially. Run away and hide. And to speak, at the, speak to this from a personal experience, I, I have to say... Um, in this last week, and part of this story isn't completely mine to share, uh, 
Um, but uh, I will ask for forgiveness. The person is probably watching. It's my wife. Uh, but the tail end of this last week, Linda's rheumatoid arthritis has, the pain has been less, but other side effects of either the medicine or food or something has, has been tough. And I have to say at the end of Thursday evening when she came home from work and she was tired and uh, she had requested a special meal and I made the special meal and it didn't work, uh, which is to say it didn't sit well with her. Um, I have to say that seeing her in that much distress caused me anxiety and fear. And it made me unable to truly be present in the moment with my wife. It also made me unable to be present with the very grounding that keeps me connected to God at all times. I was out of the moment. I was not in that moment at all. I didn't sleep well that night because I couldn't let go. I could not release. I held on. I grasped. I, uh, I, uh, I couldn't let that go. And it sat with me most of the day on, on Friday. And finally, late in the day on Friday, I sat with my journal. Having spent the day, you know, uh, Linda woke up in the morning and I sat down next to her and I said, all right, I've got a plan. We're going to call six doctors. We're going to do this thing. We're going to fix this thing. I think this should work. We should... And Linda's like, just waking up. Um, if you've ever wondered how hard it is to live with me, there you go. Uh, she's just, and I have made this plan. It's all out of fear. I'm not listening to what Linda has to say as much as I'm listening to the fear speak. And the fear just speaks, the longer you let it speak, the, more it, the louder it speaks, the louder it speaks. So the whole rest of the day, I sat until, until my afternoon sit. And I had my journal in my lap. I've been so fearful in the morning that my normal morning practice, I'll just tell you, my normal morning practice every single day is to list in my journal 10 things for which I'm thankful. It's my gratitude practice. And it sets my day up from a position of thankfulness. Not Friday. That did not set up my day. There was not a lot of thankfulness in the morning. There was only fear and anxiety, which I spewed off in all sorts of directions in various ways, spinning up. At 3 o'clock, I sat down. At 3 o'clock, I sat with my journal. I turned on some peaceful music. Um, Tibetan singing bowls for 30 minutes, and I sat down to be thankful. And one of the things I was thankful for is, is the lessons I was learning about my own fear. I thought I was beyond that. <laughs> I thought I was over that. My own anxieties, I thought I was over that. Uh, I, I'm not, I wasn't. They can pop up for any of us anytime. It doesn't matter where you are on the spiritual journey, where you are on the path. If you let it speak, and then let it speak louder, it can speak your whole day. And it did for me. It's arising, did just that thing. So after I sat with my journal, 
and did my thankfulness practice, I, I was, the, the fear was easing. And then I journaled for about two pages about all that I had learned about myself. It became a wonderful learning opportunity. You know, when we trip and fall, some, those are the best learning opportunities most of the time. When you succeed, you think you've got it. You think you've arrived. Look, I've succeeded. Woo! See? Uh, but when we trip and fall, we realize, wait, we've got some more things to practice, some more things to learn, some more things to grow from. And so I did. Uh, I'd like to believe anyway. And after journaling, I sat with Linda and said, listen, I'm sorry about this morning. I'm sorry about my reactivity. I'm sorry that I didn't uh, rest in that. But fear got a hold of me, and fear was my spokesperson today. Well, needless to say, this can happen to anybody, anytime. And it happened to the 12, the men. It happened to them. Now I want to show you what the other side of that looks like. It looks like love. Love, we're told that mature love, it can be translated as perfect love, but the truth is it, it really is a word that can mean mature. Mature love casts out fear. Mature love casts out fear. Apparently I'm not very mature in my love. Working on it, working on it. So what can we learn about love from Mary Magdalene? Well, first of all, love got the final word for Mary Magdalene. She didn't run away. Her love for Jesus, her love for God, her love and trust that God would be present with her even in her fearful moments helped her to stay with the other women. She stayed at a distance. I don't know how far the distance was, you know, uh, but she stayed inside of Jesus and she watched him die. She didn't leave his side. And then she, she was still there when Joseph arrived to take his body. And she followed Joseph with the other Mary to the place and the tomb where they laid him. Now listen to verse 61, which I think blew my mind. Now I have to admit, Cynthia Brugeau pointed it out to me in one of her books. But when I saw it, it blew my mind. In verse 61 it says, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. There's no, and then they got up and left. They sat vigil at the tomb. They never left Jesus. Never left Jesus. They persevered. You know, all the other people we've talked about got all sorts of interesting, uh, you know, Pilate the judge, the religious, the accusers, Peter, the not-so-rocky rock, the abandoner, the denier, Judas, the betrayer. Uh, I've, I've worked through them all, uh, the centurion, the proclaimer. I suppose that was positive. He saw something in the death of Jesus. 
But Mary was the only steadfast one, the one who stayed through it all. And what's interesting is I looked more closely at this whole text, and it says they had followed Jesus from Galilee. And for, for years, I heard they had followed Jesus from Galilee, and I just thought, you know, they were like hanger honors at the end of the camp. They were his followers. It's the same word that it was, they were Jesus' disciples. It wasn't just men. It was women. And Mary was a disciple who never, ever, ever left Jesus. So what can we learn about discipleship from Mary Magdalene? We can learn what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, and that is that love never fails. If you let love win in your heart over fear, you can keep present in the moment. You're not driven out of this moment. It must have been horrific for the women to look at the beaten and bruised body of a crucified man they loved hanging on a cross, no matter how far away they were. But they didn't go anywhere. The same love that would have horrified them about what was being done to Jesus was the same love that was intense enough for them to never run away. And the love was intense enough that for Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, they sat vigil with the body of Jesus without abandoning him, at least according to Matthew. Never once does it say, and they got up and left. They, they, they never abandoned him. That's the power of love. It connects us. Where fear is a divider, fear of the other makes me divided from them. Whoever them are, how many thems do you have in your life? That's a question for another sermon. Fear is a divider that separates us. Love is a combiner, a synthesizer. It brings us together. When I listen to another person in love, no matter what they say and how it might infuriate me or cause anxiety in me, love allows me to stay in the moment with them. Now, I know I haven't arrived in love yet. I'm still working on it. I'm still working on trusting God enough that I don't leave the moment for my own fears. I believe it's possible in this life. John Wesley, the founder of United Methodism, said that in this life, he was going on. I had to bow when I was ordained. Are you going on to perfection? Do you believe in perfection in this life? Are you going on to perfection in this life? Sure. You know, 30 years ago, sure. Why not? Sounds good. Uh, what does it mean? If I'm attentive enough to this love that flows through me and up from the well deep within me that God created, if I'm attentive enough, I can be perfect. 
perfectly present in love all the time. I know I haven't arrived. But as I come to recognize this love that grows in each one of us on this journey of discipleship, I see what the possibilities are. And I no longer hold up Peter as the one I wish I could be like. Or Thomas, the denier. Uh, Not the denier, the doubter. You know, we all get titles. I want to be like Mary Magdalene. I want to love Jesus so much, I wouldn't leave his side. That I won't abandon the love, even when fear rises in me. I won't let the fear speak because fear doesn't get the final word. Love does. Read the Gospels. Love is the final word. Not the literal word love. But love is the final word. It's the bottom line. It's who God is. God is love. Love never fails. God never fails. And interchange them. I want to encourage you when you feel when you feel the fear rising up in you. To breathe yourself back in the moment. Mary and the other women stood horrified during the crucifixion and never left. I'm not saying that it will be easy. I'm not saying that there are some things in life you should probably be afraid of, or at least respect carefully. Like oncoming trains, don't stand in the middle of the tracks, it's just not a good plan. Uh, Don't step out in front of a car. I don't care if there is a crosswalk, because if you live in Northern Virginia, they don't pay attention to those things. You're like a target. 10 points, they're in a crosswalk, 15. It feels like that's the way to treat it. There are some things you should probably be afraid of. But each other is not one of them. Living out of place of love, it's the work of a lifetime. Letting go of our fears, it's the work of a lifetime. Being present in love, as Mary was, to the very end and beyond. I want to be like Mary. Mary Magdalene, who never left Jesus. You can be like her too. And I think that's what she teaches us. Love conquers fear. Love conquers fear.